0: Hi, I'm Eric Gurna, and this is Please Speak Freely, the podcast where we have honest conversations about youth development and education. I have no reason to lie.
1: lie.
0: Welcome to Please Speak Freely. I'm Eric Gurna, and I just want to start off with a little news and updates this time before we launch into our interview with Dorothy Jungles. Um, I first have to apologize for it being an extra long time since I did the last podcast. Um, It's been a few months, and uh, I've been wanting to um, keep it up on a regular basis, but it's been a little bit difficult because I've been extremely busy. Um, uh, My wife, Elia, and I and our two kids, Rosie and Rafi, are in the midst of getting ready to move to Los Angeles, where I will be starting a new role as president and CEO of LA's Best After School Enrichment Program. Um, LA's Best is an amazing youth program that operates in a, currently in 195 elementary schools in the Los Angeles Unified School District. I worked there about 15 years ago as director of staff development and um, have stayed very closely connected with them, working with them through development without limits over the years, um, especially staying close with my mentor carla sanger who i interviewed a couple of podcasts ago carla is uh retiring or has actually indeed already officially retired and i have the great honor and privilege and challenge of succeeding her after 26 years in the role of ceo of la's best i will be taking over that role um in february of 2015. so i am happy to say i'm leaving development without limits in the very capable hands of jennifer brady who has been with us for several years and will now be taking the role of CEO. And Jennifer and the rest of the team are, are really very well geared up to um, continue the work of Development Without Limits and grow that work. I'm really excited for them. Um, you know, I am very ex- also very excited myself for taking on this new role and challenge to be able to, to work in LA with so many wonderful people, the LA's best team, is really incredible, really puts young people at the center and takes a very whole-child approach to after-school enrichment. Um, I'm excited to have such a big platform and to work with such a great team, like I said. I hope to continue doing the podcast. Um, I can't promise it at this point because I have no idea about what my life is about to become, but I really would like to continue doing um, Please Speak Freely. Um, might sort of move it onto its own website uh, to sort of keep it distinct somewhat from Development Without Limits as I move into this new role. If you want to stay in touch, please do follow me on Twitter at Eric Gurna, E-R-I-C-G-U-R-N-A, um, or um, you can always email me. I will uh, be able to still have access to my email address at Eric Gurna at developmentwithoutlimits.org. You can always look up on the LA's Best website for what my contact information becomes when I start in February. Um, I very much appreciate you listening to Please Speak Freely. Our our, um, listenership has been growing and growing. And, um, you know, please do go on iTunes uh, if you don't mind and uh, give us a rating, give us a review. That helps us out a lot with getting more listeners. Um, And uh, without further ado, let's hear my conversation with Dorothy Jungles. Welcome again to Please Speak Freely. I'm your host Eric Gurna, and I'm here with Dorothy Jungles, the co-artistic director of Everett Company Stage and School. Welcome, Dorothy.
2: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: I've been really looking forward to having this conversation. We've got to know each other over the past year and a half um, since my family and I moved to Providence, Rhode Island, so that my wife, Elia, could direct New Urban Arts, and. My daughter Rosie is a student of your organization here in the Story Ballet class, which is taught by your granddaughter, Gracie, right? Um, And that's a—it's an interesting lead-in to whatever it is and whatever it does, because it's one of the first organizations I've come across that is a almost like a family-run nonprofit. Um, and, and you looked a little bit skeptical when I said it that way. So I, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm starting that way to ask you to sort of, if you could sort of tell the story of Everett. Um, you know, how did, it, how did it come to, what is it and how did it come to be?
2: I like to think of it as more like a mom-pop store
0: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and um, informal. And I guess maybe we started the company uh, my daughter had just, was at Juilliard, very strange that she, how fate takes you there. She had more, you know, the finest dance training in the country there. And my son had graduated from RISD and Tr- Trinity Rep. And I had far less credentials, and I was going through, you know, that uh, time of life when everyone's leaving the nest and what it what's my next job and you know that kind of soul-searching and dark night of the soul and uh, we had done a showcase someone invited us to do a little showcase and it was actually my daughter Therese my daughter Rachel and my son Aaron performed along with uh, my partner who, uh, a percussionist, uh, John Belcher. And that was the beginning of, we did the showcase, and people liked our little piece and said, hey, you could become a company. Hmm. And uh, we applied for a grant, a fellowship, and we got it, uh, $3,000, and that was the start. We thought that was a sign <laughs> from the heavens that we were to be <laughs> a company.
0: And when was this?
2: Uh, Eighty. let's see, 86 we started, Mm -hmm. and my friend uh, Everett Whedon was dying that week, and he was an old-time tap dancer who we, um, maybe I did my first show business with. Uh, It was a program for the elderly. I was working for Rhode Island State Council on the Arts, and we were doing a program uh, called Art and the Elderly, and I was sent to every kind of institution not only the nursing homes but um the state hospital the state institute for mental health and uh there I met an old jazz musician and I met Everett Whedon and they were you know (laughs) however they lost their way uh for what reason but here was this very amazing piano player and tap dancer and uh so we had these great times together. So anyway, Everett was dying then. And so we decided to name our new company after Everett. And uh, so that's how that name came. And he was, he was a jazz guy. He'd always talk in rhymes. How you doing? Uh, we called him Buddy. Fine and dandy as candy, fine as wine. And uh, you know, he'd always say, he uh, was a character. And he'd say, frankly, I could make you stars overnight. And when we started the company, he he must have given us a gift because he, uh, we got our first audition at Dance Theater Workshop in New York, mm. which was a big surprise. Mm-hmm. Our first audition. I mean, how often does that happen? And and they were surprised too. They used to call David White called us the Beans of Maine because he just kind of pictured us on our front porch making mm. art. And you know, where they come? Where'd this crazy group come from? So anyway, we went. Uh, That was a success, you know, and we were totally surprised. We're doing lots of residencies. You know, the school would hire you for two weeks, and you'd go there, and you'd be at the residency, and we uh, wanted to have a place where kids could come for the long haul. Aaron's, to quote Aaron, you know, we want a place where kids could come for the long haul as long as it takes to be an artist. Mm. This place is going to be here. So we don't have any kind of graduation or people leave. In fact, they stay and mm-hmm. stay. Um, and who knows where where it was heading. Uh, but we had, there was a magazine. I always say we should have named this the memorial, uh, Vicki Sanders Memorial Theater, because she said there was no dance in Rhode Island, and all the dancers were up in arms, you know, because we were like a floating crap game. We were in the basement of a church here to perform or a, mm. a little little hall in a school another time. You know, we had no location. So uh, we all got together. We were, you know, shed our tears and got our protest out and then said, what are we going to do? And we said, uh, dance has no address. We need an address. So... we needed a place. Aaron had just been evicted from our last studio. We were above a bakery making too much dust fall on the baked goods. So (laughs) we uh, were evicted and we went looking and we found this place and we were just looking for a place to rent. And the clever man said to us, why rent when you can buy? And we had just finished paying for our house and just over it. And we mortgaged the house and bought this place because we didn't really know what a nonprofit was. We didn't know how to raise money. We didn't know anything of that.
0: You had finished buying a house, your own house. We were
2: finished paying for fin- it. I finished finished pay- paying. You paid for off it. the mortgage and then, then you mortgaged paid it again. Off, and then we mortgaged it to buy this place.
0: To buy and talk about this place where we are now. Uh, it's
2: uh, a carriage house. It's an amazing brick building. It's just so grabs your imagination right away. Uh, very beautiful and. Um, we thought, and my husband's father was in construction. My son is in construction. Aaron never built anything, but by the time this was done, he'd built a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was like they thought we'd do it in four months. It took four years mm. to get this up. And um, But meanwhile, we rehearsed different places, you know, traveling. you know. Um, and at the same time, you know, I was interested in asking myself questions about, like, I love that story of Carla's about the Ebony magazine. You know, how things happen. You know, We're I, talking
0: about a, a previous Please Speak Freely yeah, interview podcast, with Carla Sanger yeah. where she taught reading to a group of young people in Baltimore um, by using Ebony magazine. Yes, yeah. and
2: just how things happen, you know, because you're trying to get... Now, who told me that, too, with it? Uh, that was on another podcast. Uh The teaching, and maybe it was her talking about being with it, like who you are with is you're with it. Like, they have something. Um, So as we were doing this, we were doing residencies, and I like to tell about our big failure. We were, you know, we were thought we were cool, and we were doing uh, uh, choreography with at a, a recreation center with a pile of kids and basketballs. You know, it was really really great and we were very innovative and you know we had enough support from adults there to finish that project though there were other projects i have to tell you that were literally going on in shower stalls art (laughs) projects that that's how the space was used you know uh literally that's all the only place they could do their little art projects yeah but we had a little more support there uh some friends were running the program, and they stuck with us, and we finished it. But at the end, we knew it wasn't in the kid's heart. We hadn't done it, and I've always been a fan of of all the dance that the word is comes from the streets, meaning it's not a studio-made dance. It's not choreography. It comes from the people, mm-hmm. like folk band, dance. Mm-hmm. But in America, it's been you know everything from the cakewalk, the Lindy Hop, the jitterbug, the bop. Dancing, the um, what is that called? The twist, the and then finally break dancing and uh, hip hop, mm-hmm. and those are like those are amazing things that swell up from people, from the living of people. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's so real, as modern as any modern dance could be, as truthful an expression of life. Mm-hmm. And it, and I was I loved it. And in Chicago, where I grew up, you know, the south side and the north side, never the twain shall meet. And you didn't, you know, there was no way to be close to that kind of dancing. Uh, so at this particular time at at the rec center, you know, and I knew the dancing was around, but how to get near it, how to, you know, know somebody who does that dance. And then um, we, after we'd failed so miserably, we... Said, what are we going to do? Let's put a sign. And I knew the dancers were around. I just didn't know where to find them. I knew, you know, there were people, self-taught people. And mm-hmm. we put a sign on a, 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 a lamp post, a light, whatever, telephone pole. Yeah. Uh, looking for street dancer or something. Mm-hmm. Dance teacher wanted. And a young man named Eddie Silvestri came forward. And this like changed our lives. I think of the you know, the first people we met that were representative of this self-taught world. He's was an amazing acrobat, and he had a, uh, he got already, you know, just a little bit at this rec center, started and found all the acrobats in the neighborhood. And it, it turns out these kids on garbage day would collect mattresses, you know, they'd get a, what do you call them, a, market cart and load them Mm -hmm. up with old mattresses and teach themselves to flip and like a
0: like a grocery cart that you push through the store yeah and
2: and on the street load uh them up and have the little boys push them the big boys would have the younger ones pushing these market carts filled with mattresses
0: filled with mattresses yes yeah
2: and and carry them to whatever vacant lot they were going to work. In. well
0: they used the carts to carry the mattresses, and yeah. then then they'd go and practice and acrobatics. And then they practice. Okay.
2: And they taught themselves. I thought
0: the cart was somehow involved with the acrobatics, <laughs> and I was just trying to. Well, you know, I just eye.
2: have I can see this <clears throat> night in my mind's eye. You know, I would sometimes go with them to find, to see some of, or just happen to be there to see some of this art. Uh, I was taken on a tour one time. I just found my old videotape. Where the kids took me to these abandoned places and all this graffiti that was like museums, mm-hmm. like hidden museums, amazing stuff. So one night I was there when they were collecting a mattress, I believe, and I just got a kick out of it because the bigger boys always had the younger boys do the work. Mm-hmm. Right? They would just walk aside, the uh, this uh, event, uh, you know, where the younger, smaller children had uh, pushed the cart and got the mattresses. But you know, talking about these ways people learn and why they learn and when they learn and who they need by them to learn. They taught themselves how to to flip, you know, on their own, and they'd work at it, you know, night and day together and teach each other. And Eddie was like a Pied Piper. He could find, or the word would get out, where he was teaching and the best acrobats would be there. And I'm telling you, some of them look like Olympic material. <laughs>
0: and he was doing this on his own. Oh, they right? do that.
2: That's their, that's their, uh, what, that's how their day goes. Yeah. Probably summer times, especially, or weekends, or sure. whatever.
0: So th- if I could interrupt your story for a minute, because there's something really interesting to me, because you're talking about, this is in the 80s? Yeah, this
2: was 90.
0: 90, okay. so Early 90s. So late 80s, early 90s. Um, and you're going around, um, and... You are your your previous career had been as a dancer, is that right?
2: I was never a professional dancer. I taught. Okay, so you studied and I taught.
0: You you had been studying and teaching and and in in the world of the the relatively sort of um, I don't know culturally high minded world of of dance and art, and you're 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 going out to graffiti covered areas um, with kids pushing grocery carts of old mattresses and they're so a lot of people who, who had come from um, the world that you would come from or even just being you know uh, a, a white woman of however old you were at that time would have seen a group of kids bouncing around on mattresses and graffiti everywhere and they wouldn't have seen art right they wouldn't have seen how they wouldn't see the, the rich um, the rich learning that was going on or the engagement, they wouldn't have seen all the graffiti on the walls and said, this is like a museum. So w- what, how did you have those eyes going into that? Well,
2: remember I was a fan all the way in Chicago. Mm. I mean, it was like, uh, and it was world. I, I used to think this is like, I mean, I can travel so much in this neighborhood mm. and, and be in so many cultures And have a world open to me. But as a dancer, I loved all forms of dance. Mm -hmm. And I was, uh, you know, uh, I'm surprised to say I'm radical in nature, you know, this white old lady. Uh, But I think I am in the sense that I do. I mean, I see. I mean, I don't even think I'm seeing it. I mean, I think this is real life and beauty and truth. And that's what art is. And to be able to be near it, that's, I always desired that. You know, you see little bits in movies, you see these dances, you can't believe what they do. Mm-hmm. And how do you get near it? You know, that, it's different now. Like right now, every institution has their B-boys and, you know, they're opening a home to them. Yeah, But in those days, it was still more, uh, what is it, you can't put your hands on it, you can't find it, you know it's there. So when Eddie showed up, that was the beginning. And he turned out, he was an acrobat, not a dancer, but all the better, you know. And there we were, and I realized only as I looked back that we began our school partnering with this group of wild and talented uh, acrobats and dancers Mm -hmm. from the streets. And it never left. We never stopped our partnership. And we would, uh, I went to my, I had the first show, you know, then there was this talent and there was a heritage festival and we signed up and brought them. Now this was when the first kids were, it was very, very wild. And they were, I mean, I took them to try to rehearse. They were throwing chestnuts. Each other, and I'd be in between getting hit, and they were hanging over the bridge by their fingers. We had two shows, and Rachel had to literally take the kids, put them in a car, and drive them around in between the shows so they wouldn't get in trouble at the festival.
0: Just drive around, sort of. Yeah, randomly? just so they okay.
2: weren't getting into trouble, uh-huh, uh-huh. causing. Uh, but it was also new to us then, and we were willing to, uh, because the talent was so strong and the art was so strong. And we had no idea, I had no idea how to discipline or anything like that. Now, Eddie did. I mean, Eddie was, you know, again, he disciplined through uh, his own uh, skill set of what he knew how to do and what they wanted he to know a natural. how to do. He, yeah. And they wanted to know how to do what yeah. he knew how to do. Right. And so he, he, he held had that their secret. Attention. Yeah, he yeah. had that secret of mm-hmm. learning. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you talk about learning. And they... Uh, <laughs> It was wild. And then we put on the show, and then, uh, you know, they have bales of hay. It's a cute little small little arena, and the kids are dancing. And they surprise us. Now, this is the 90s. They surprise us with some toy guns because one of the shows, one of the things, songs has guns in it. So they Mm -hmm. got their little props. Now, of course, in the days of uh, what you're going to see Fred Astaire with, what are those kind of
0: Oh, guns? like a Tommy gun? Tommy guns, yeah.
2: yeah. And making sounds and using right. them in the dance, incorporating all of that. Right. But, of course, the kids bring these out. Plus, I don't hear all the words on the...
0: The music. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh, uh-huh, So
2: I don't even need to tell you more. Right. We got into a little trouble uh-huh. our first show.
0: With the organizers of the, of the yes. show? Yeah. yes.
2: We had to go and meet afterwards and talk about it.
0: Do you remember what the songs were or anything? No. (laughs) But you don't have
2: to look far for those kinds of songs. I mean, it still gets you in trouble. But but that was the beginning. And then when we found that one day, uh, we talked the rec center into bringing the kids over here.
0: To the carriage house?
2: On a bus. Mm -hmm. Because they would go on buses to play games, right? right? So why couldn't they go on a bus to learn acrobats and do their dancing here
0: so you you mean they would go if they were playing sports or something well you know there's buses for that sure in order to so you're sort of putting the art on the level of the the, the respect that sports was given i mean so
2: they never drove anyone to another site for a dance class but they do it for sports so why not so they started driving the kids over here Mm -hmm. and uh you know i mean it Eddie's class was big and beautiful, and anytime time... But after that, we got better at presenting. I mean, we got so good that he could set up anywhere, and uh, there'd be a crowd. I mean, you couldn't not watch what they were doing. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. Then, finally, you know, I saw this one kid from Laos. His name is Sukhan. One of the most graceful, amazing dancers you'd ever see. And he just happened along on the bus, curious mm. and i and we talked about dancing, and you know, I talked him into coming and bringing of his friends and start some break dancing here now, this was still very rarefied. I mean, you it wasn't where you could touch it, you know, I mean, you could see it places on maybe on t v or mm-hmm. I don't know what movies are. There was a big movie out, but to know the kids that were really practicing it, and so. I got him coming. I got some of his friends coming. And then little by little, you know, we got... This was called new school. You know Mm -hmm. that. And the old school were the older guys. They were in their 30s, and these guys were in their teens Mm -hmm. still. So then this... We got it started, and then some of the old school guys came. Mm -hmm. And one of them came and started mentoring and running the program here. And the way that worked is we simply twice a week opened our doors for an hour the the older guy the old school guy had music and he would run the thing you know there'd be a battle at the end where they'd all get up and show their stuff mm-hmm. but meanwhile you just open your doors and the kids would come in and teach teach each other and practice and the stands would be filled because the people that weren't dancing were there to watch mm-hmm. because it was so new mm-hmm. it was the new wave of breakdancing and what they call power moves. You know, the kids w- worked on these power moves that, again, were acrobatic, and, you know, they were very uh, catching. You'd look at them and you'd go, wow, you know, that's... Anyway, and no matter who you were, white, old lady, uh, young people, no matter what race, yeah. uh, you could... Uh, You'd, your eyes would be caught. It's yeah. Spectacle. It was spectacle. It was
1: mm-hmm.
2: eye catching and remarkable. And again, self taught. And to watch that happen. And in the beginning, and we were doing ballet, Rachel was doing ballet classes too. You know, if we didn't get our cards out in the fall on time, no one would show up. But with the break dancing, you'd tell one person,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and then they'd all be there because it was so spectacular and so new. You know, just like any new craze that comes out, it was like the Beatles or whatever. You know, everyone wanted to see it. And it was very, very exciting. And um, so that's how we started. And, you know, it was such, to me, it was such an honor to be with this kind of talent and to watch it and to breathe the same air, you know, in Mm. a sense, in our studio. You know, so we had Rachel... You know, straight from Juilliard, beautifully trained dancer, you know, Aaron with his, um, all his talents with filmmaking, he was an acrobat, he was a wrestler, and that's how he got into the dancing, is through wrestling. Mm -hmm. So uh, we had Marvin, who was a clown, uh, who an actor in the company, so we were just mixing all these forms together. And dealing with you know a population of kids that were uh often in trouble, you know uh but not when they were here. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: I had mentioned earlier that the how unusual it seems to me for you to be able to see the art in that setting um and that that sort of connects to what you were just saying also a lot of people um especially you know, before hip hop became very mainstream, as you said, as it is now, now there's, you know, hip hop dance and university level and everything else. Um, but you know, I, I grew up in the eighties and, um, you know, in, in Oakland, California where, where hip hop became pretty big. Um, and before it, before it went mainstream and there was oftentimes adults would associate that, whether it was, um, break dancing or the music or, DJing or whatever it was, they would associate that with, um, like, crime, drugs, violence, something that's scary, something Mm -hmm. that's sort of Mm -hmm. foreign and other and scary. Um, but you and your your team, which was your family um, and others who you sort of Mm -hmm. who are also part of your team, you 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 embraced it Mm -hmm. and and had the level of respect for it that you felt you could uh, open up your space and have that come in, have the expertise come in rather than have you needing to provide all of the expertise. You opened mm-hmm. it up and the expertise came in mm-hmm. um, in the form of, of the kids and some of the older, some of the some of the adults who, who, were, who were a part of that. But that um, intimidated and scared a lot of people, I mean, to an extreme level, and we still see that today. It just has taken different form. Mm-hmm. But um, h- how do you suppose that that you and... You know Aaron and Rachel and the others who were who were running things back then. How did you have such a open-minded and generous view that that was a pretty unusual for for where you were coming from?
2: Well, you know we we just interviewed us Abraham Henderson, who he grew up in a very troubled time. You know his father was he shot? Is in jail? Uh, I mean he's. Homeless in high school. He's now got a master's degree. He's worked with Tenney at the Institute for Nonviolence. He's now cultural dean at Cuffy School, Paul Cuffy School. Uh, amazing guy. And he, we talked to him about things, you know, and what saved him. Like, what was it, you know? And he said beauty. Hmm. And he said beauty. He said seeing it in people, beautiful people and i think that goes i mean he's a painter now he's a writer he's an actor but i think if art does its job you see where beauty is you see it you don't try to make it happen Mm. as much as you see it you know and you recognize it what is true and what is beauty and that's what they say art is that works for me Mm. and So, and as I said, we brought funders here. We didn't have, this place was not open for four years, but we were using it a lot. There wasn't a washroom or heat in the beginning. Uh, You know, little by little things came, but we could still use it. Sometimes we rehearsed at Hope High Field with the kids. Like, Mm -hmm. um, we were doing things illegally, I guess, you know, uh, (laughs) a lot. Uh I mean, like driving them around the city with, with with. (laughs) mats on top of our car, and Uh the car piled too filled with kids, you Uh know, but uh, we were one of them. And it was just easy to be one with them uh, because it was so full of life and beauty and truth. And, you know, talk about expression being a true expression, you know, it was a true expression. So it didn't take training to see that. And people that came to see it would be uh, struck, you couldn't not, you know, and um, I was going to say about that, but so i it was nothing, I mean, it was nothing on our part, it was only how to harness it into something, but as I said, even the times, it wasn't, that wasn't hard, sometimes people thought, well, they should warm up, you should have a warm up before they start, you know, I mean. You know, there were, uh, I counted 70 kids in there sometimes, you know, between you on the floor and on the seats, Mm -hmm. you know, and they knew exactly what to do, and they didn't need anything except, you know, like uh, someone providing a good music and then organizing a little uh, uh, battle, and then also someone who did know the power move. So they Mm -hmm. taught each other. I mean, it was like such an example of education and development. Uh, And there was no trouble. There was only one time when there was almost a fight. And then, of course, Eddie, this guy, this acrobat, I mean, I can't say enough about this wild guy. He's a fireman now. Hmm. But he he also could break up. He was so good at, he understood how to break up fights or anything like that, or to make peace immediately. And there was only one time he wasn't there. I was there by myself. And these two kids looked like they were going to go at it. And over a sister or something and I remember I ta- I couldn't call I called Aaron he wasn't there I couldn't get anyone maybe there wasn't one of the older guys there and I I didn't know what to do so I called the police and then Aaron did get here and the police hadn't got there yet so we piled the kids in cars and left the space before the police could come.
0: <laughs> it's like a prank <laughs> yeah
2: because, you know, we, uh, we never did, uh, there was never an occasion, and it was, uh, I mean, it's rather miraculous. But one of these older guys, his name is Mark Fisher, was an amazing guy. And again, as long as you had the very advanced dancers there, all the other kids wanted to be there, because right. they could learn, even if it was only watching. Right. But about the crime stuff, see, Mark Fisher hated what happened to hip-hop, because he said it all started out as art. You yeah. know, and that the the kill a policeman or whatever goes on in the in the lyrics and all that thug stuff was added and he always felt it was the commercial sure. selling. Yeah. It was that part of it. They took over their art form. They exploited it and used it. And you know, I mean, but what's new, right? Right. I mean what's when money new?
0: when the high level of money gets involved in art it I mean it it always does something poisonous, right? Yeah.
2: Well, they want to, I mean, someone else wants it for the wrong reasons, right? (laughs) Right. For the wrong reasons.
0: So, so, um, going from that organic work and, and creating this space to now in 2014, um, you're in the midst of this, um, uh, freedom project, which I got to see recently just in a, I guess you'd call it an iterative form. was sort of a, um, a work in progress. Yeah. Um, and so, if I could describe it in my uh, probably, you know, awkward, ham-fisted way of just, it's a, it's a multimedia performance that uh, tells stories of, of p- diverse people who've had different experiences with the, quote, justice system, being incarcerated, and what led to that and what happened after that. And um, some of them are telling their own stories, and some of them are telling true stories, of people, of other people that they've that they've talked to, using um, dance and video and um, acting and music, um, and it's this very, and and you can you can correct my description if, if if you want, but it's this very moving and I would say very artistically sophisticated, but really engaging. I say sophisticated meaning it involves a lot of moving parts and a, it. It, ha- it works on a lot of levels, mm-hmm. um, not so much as being sophisticated in terms of only a rarefied audience could understand it or something. Um, and ha- how it's extremely political and very uh, heartfelt and philosophical. Um, how did we, how did you go from that beginning to, to this this sort of work?
2: All right. So, I guess, and did I describe that right? Or did uh, I, totally that beautiful. In fact, okay. thank you. Very lovely. Aaron will love that. He's directing that piece. Okay, I'd love to finish the story up to then. Yeah. So these people that came into our lives and changed our lives, you know, they were still separate lives, you know, uh, until uh, what year was it we made something called Somewhere in the Dream. One mm. of the, uh, And that was... Uh, a piece about race and the reason we felt like we could do it is because of Eddie and then we had two more young people join us now this they were the uh what can I say so that was our first step into cross-pollinating in the sense of at first they were them and we were us mm. even and we I think we far more in awe of them than they were of us you know but they had an amazing thing going and they were young so we invited Eddie to be in this piece uh and he was so funny and he was so out there with race it that everyone was laughing you know Mm -hmm. we'd be going somewhere and getting the and I had a van then. He said, "Okay, minorities minorities in the back of the bus, mm-hmm. you know." And we'd always laugh, you know. Oh, white people are all over here. Black people are all over here. And we, you know, everything was just out there, mm-hmm. open, and playful. And um, so we wanted to make a piece on education and race, and uh, and that began trying to take some of the uh, young people from their world into ours, and because uh, I, I want, what, what do I want to say about that? Because we lost some of the kids, you know, it was hard. And just like the day uh, at the Heritage Festival, when you know the awkwardness of not knowing each other well enough, not knowing what could happen, you know, I was very naive. So too when we went on tour, I mean, we we. Took Then we enlarged it to take some of the breakdancers on tour with us, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, so that was a new thing for people, you know, to get them, and they were young men coming of age, drinking their first gin, getting into trouble, <laughs> mm-hmm. and... Um, So it was worlds mixing, but uh, the excitement of worlds mixing. Because if you know, art and science are all about mixing opposites. Strange things come together. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's otherwise you don't have something new. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You stay homogenized, you don't get anywhere as far as newness. You know, this is how uh, the liveliness of worlds crashing and... uh, (laughs) Values and ideas or upbringing or and ages, I mean probably the biggest thing we suffered then was the typical teen age hormones right and adult conflicts you know I mean that was probably the only conflict I don't remember any kind of race conflict, but uh, you know just the young people knowing what's going on but anyway, it was quite an amazing piece, and we were taking you know a story of kids in the ghetto and kids. And Giselle, and we were making the ballet Giselle. Okay. And so that was a big crash, and we had uh, Aaron loved to design the sets, so he designed these chain-link fences that were on wheels, mm. and they were being moved around, and the kids... Uh, So it was perfect for the breakdancing, but how did it fit with Giselle? And none of these young men, which is fun, this is so fun, too, from culture to culture, because these young men thought nothing of trying to be ballet dancers or acting like ballet dancers, where, you know, in the white community, boys, young men would be so embarrassed. Mm -hmm. But there was no embarrassment, because dance was a form of life, you Mm -hmm. know, so... But anyway, we combine Giselle and this story of the ghetto, this love story in the ghetto of being jilted. The woman was jilted in the ghetto, and in Giselle, the woman is jilted by the prince. Mm-hmm. And uh, but at the end, on this one day, Eddie says, <laughs> and and he starts telling the story of Giselle, and the forest, and he's acting like the director because everything we do is from improv, mm-hmm. and he's have, he's pulling out the chain link fences as if they're the forest. Mm-hmm. And he's creating Giselle with the, with the uh, chain link fences. And he makes this amazing coming together of fences that are usually what separate us. And now they're what's joining us. And the fences are in the ghetto and they're in Giselle. And they're the trees in Giselle. And he brings these worlds together at the ending in a way that, and then they become doors. These fences became so many things. And then at the very end, they became like gates, that opened, Mm -hmm. and the whole cast of kids, all ages, we had little breakdancers, too, like Mm 10-year-olds and uh, up to the teens. Then we had our bigger, older cast, and they all walked through this gate together at the end. So I guess how that relates to what you're saying is that was our first uh, coming together. And then um, later, a very big Turning point in our life was Sokia Ross, who was one of the young people that stayed and stayed and stayed mm-hmm. and grew and grew and grew, became a master teacher, became a master leader, and uh, like Eddie, who didn't stay, he was a master, but uh, Sokia stayed. And worked with us. So then he overlapped. He was working in, he was one of the young teens in Somewhere in the Dream. You know, it was like Martin Luther's dream. And mm-hmm. it was, uh, you know, this mix of humor and mistakes that you make when you, mm-hmm. when you crash into one another. And then um, lots of funniness and lots of funny people in it. And uh, But so Keo grew out of that experience of touring. And he's the one that stayed, and he's the one that then created a whole really serious hip-hop department, you know, really, really on target. Choreography, and then his choreography, it was like osmosis, too, because his choreography became theater as well. I mean, it was no formal teaching, but he was affected by theater and became, his his. he's made some beautiful pieces with hip-hop and theater mm-hmm. together, you know. So that gave us a, a a really solid base of teaching, you know, and, and and then as the old stuff left and, you know, it became more uh, everydayness, you know. Then it was up to the choreographers to make something out of it, you know, something mm-hmm. lasting and impressionable, and he could do that. So how that came to then this is we, then people stayed. For whatever reasons, you know, you have Airy Brisbane, too. He was a DCYF kid. DCYF uh, is? Living 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 in a state, a ward war of the state, mm-hmm. a of the state. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the funniest kids, because we had this relationship as well with Hope High School. And uh, those kids who were getting theater from Miss Oxy are doing an amazing job, and that's been dismantled. That's a heartbreaker. Mm. Uh, those kids had a, they had a village right there, of strange talented kids that didn't fit anywhere else, saving lives. Their lives were saved mm. through the arts. So Ari had us and Hope High School. So he did all the traditional plays. He did the. They started the improv group here while they were in high school with us. So that was another kind of mix of mm-hmm. kids and adults doing improv together. And. Uh, anyway you know you see kids that save their lives through their talent and that's what so Key will always say i i would have been in jail or dead if i didn't find art if i mm-hmm. wasn't you know this it was in them and it was in so many of them you know just to be just to be there just give them a place for that for them for that talent that they have yeah and so um, and what i wanted to get on then so a lot of these people that lasted with us and like airy too and their uh I mean, Aerie has a whole family of kids in jail. But then you say, that's not unusual. Any of those kids from those neighborhoods, that's what their life is. Cousins, oh yeah, my cousin, my uncle, in jail, in jail. So it seemed like a story. Then we had one of our former uh, singers end up in jail. <laughs> we had a, another former actor end up as a in, in the training as a prison guard, getting that... You know, so we had those stories right within. Mm-hmm. We didn't know how bad it was till we got into it, and then you see that that's the slavery of today. That's mm. that's what's going on. Mm-hmm. But then you see that within our group, we've got the real stories. We've got people that are willing to talk, yeah, and say it, and then they can act, and you know, talk about Boal, theater of the oppressed, because I haven't had the I heard you studied with him, had the chance to do I mean, a workshop for a, with him. A couple yeah. days, yeah. Yeah. But uh, anyway, it is a natural thing because, you know, like we can, when you have improv, you can put anything on the stage, serious right. or not serious. Right. And that's how we do it, that's how we gather our work is we improv. Yeah. And we videotape everything and then we relearn it. Because what comes from the unconscious mm-hmm. is a true, you know, is true stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, to bring you up to present, I mean I have to tell you This funny story About Ari too So we were doing You know like When we were Really upset As the whole community Is about uh, What is that called When you pick them up Profile Black profiling or Racial you, profile When yeah. they f- Frisk and Stop and frisk Stop and frisk yeah. yeah All of that stuff Yeah Well like we put it on We put it on The stage You know for ourselves mm-hmm. And uh, Airy was the Best cop You ever saw mm-hmm. He was so real that when Sokia was sitting in the play play driver's seat, mm-hmm. his blood pressure went up yeah. when Airy pulled him over. Yeah, I mean it was that real. Yeah, and you know, very upsetting, very scary, and very funny. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, because it's not real. Yeah, and you know, but Airy could do that, and Airy is also like. I call him Richard Pryor. He's got the most elastic face. He's mm-hmm. so funny. So you could take that kind of stuff, and look what you could do. You could, um, we got to do a police workshop, which we were thrilled. And with the police? With the police. Okay. And the capt- the chief of police yeah. was there. Uh-huh. It was at the justice community, Rhode Island community justice. They were doing a dialogue with police and youth, and they let us do try out some of it. It was our first time. The police loved it. Wow. They loved it. Yeah. They they laughed, and uh, you know, and they even asked Ari how he felt when he was this policeman. How'd mm. you feel when you were doing mm-hmm. that? So you learn so many things that are true. And you get a perspective that you couldn't have without other people from other places. Mm-hmm. You know, like in the city, and and it's just so rich. So you couldn't do that kind of work that Aaron's doing without. Uh, a community of people that trust you you know that you trust each other and you can go through this because it's a long commitment they work for years to put this up they yeah. work you know and they have to trust each other and they tell each other stories and all and like there was this one story Ari just told when we were with the police he said he never gave the police a hard time because his mother made him watch Rodney King, when he was a kid, mm-hmm. and he said, "I never ran from the police. I always treated them well." And he said, "I'm going to quote him." He said, "Then if they were mean to me, if they if they were bad, then I knew they were really a dick because <laughs> because I was right. nice right. to them and I didn't run." And right. so he he's just he's just funny character with his his view of things, you know, because other people don't have those views. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyways, so Aaron felt he had enough real uh, stakes, uh, st- stakeholders yeah. uh, to be willing to go into this. And yeah. then, you know, kids, you know, I mean, we have like a kid across the street grew up here. You know, we had, I mean, it was so cute being in a neighborhood. I mean, kids can walk over and just walk in and right. no parent plants them here. But they... Mm-hmm. No parent even wants them here, shall we say, <laughs> but they come here. And this one kid, since he was little, um, came over and uh, turns out his father was in jail for 17, about 17 years. As his father says, I grew up in jail. Wow. Uh, lived right across the street in this neighborhood. But now he's back and he's... Um, He's building the Billy Taylor House here. I don't know if you know that. There's a Billy Taylor yeah. Park in this neighborhood, okay. and there's going to be a Billy Taylor House. So anyway, all his his uh, energies and creativeness and talents are going into this positive place, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, you know, so there's stories like that, like why aren't we putting this money into the talent that is here? You know, why aren't we doing that now you know why is all the money going 50,000 a year for a young man (laughs) to go to prison instead of college instead of you know have a stage somewhere where he can uh do his thing and and uh be realized you know the other amazing story about Sokio has gone to Cambodia twice now but there's an amazing story uh, about uh how they're deporting the people, the they'll serve their term in prison and then they'll be deported. Yeah. And in LA, I think this guy's from LA, uh, his name they call him KK, uh his gang member, got into trouble. He was in jail, then deported to Cambodia. He got there. He was never lived in Cambodia. I think like right. Sokio, he was born in a refugee camp and mm-hmm. then went to the States. He goes there and they know he's a breakdancer and the kids won't let him alone till he starts teaching them. Mm-hmm. He's got 40 kids in his little place teaching them. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know he's got a school. They're teaching English, computers to all these kids that are yeah. Um, uh, orphans. They have mm-hmm. nothing and so Keo got to go there and volunteer mm-hmm. and teach at that school. Nice. So you I mean so the stories of like prison and I mean it's so you know you use you put someone in prison and and punish them instead of saying, "Oh, you can dance. Come out here and teach the kids, you know like so you see what talent is and what can be done with it. And like and Sokia was changed by that. He saw his grandmother for the first time. He uh, saw these kids with these orphans with nothing, I mean nothing from the street, and he said they were happy full of smiles laughing you know he said how can i ever you know feel sorry for myself when right. i see these right. kids and right. w- and what what it's about he also then started pulling his kids to performances so this was new the, those kids coming to the concerts mm-hmm. you know so there was now cross pollination right. you know and opening eyes to Rubbing elbows, you know, like people rubbing against yeah. each other and rubbing off on each other yeah. and uh, appreciating each other in different ways.
0: There's a there's a thread that goes through all this that I'm so intrigued by, and you mentioned money in terms of, you know, why not fund this kind of work, uh, you know, as opposed to funding how, how expensive it is to keep someone incarcerated. But there's another financial aspect, too, for, for you as an organization, right, and most nonprofits take at least some of their direction from where the funding is, right? They're looking for funding in order to sustain their work and the funding often ends up um, directing their work as well. So many, you know, I don't know, we could talk about whether you consider it Everett to be a, a youth program, but, you know, as you serve or work with a lot of young people, you know, many of your peer nonprofits that serve young people you know, look for funding to work in the schools, because that's, uh, you know, a big direction that the public funding has gone in the past decade or two. Um, Or, you know, there might be funding for a particular um, type of project, whether it's coming from juvenile justice or or other places, you know, college and career readiness is this big thing right now. There's always these sort of trends and catchphrases. And it seems to me that you have taken most of your direction from the the community that you're working with the community that you're a part of from the young people themselves um much more so than any of those outside forces um is that has that been like a a conscious decision um in my and and is the well maybe I should start by saying is my observation correct is that something you've intentionally thought about
2: uh, I think, yeah, sometimes I say serendipity, too, that you follow your instincts and follow. And as artists, I think what you're doing is you're trying to create and know, and that's how you do it as honestly as you can. And teach, you know, like I have dreams, I mean, and I know you're interested in emotional intelligence and social, emotional stuff. And I would love, I mean, I have Again, radical dreams like uh, I would love to teach emotional intelligence through improv comedy, mm-hmm. and I think comedy and laughing is one of the things, one of the ways to get through to all of us and anything taboo. And that's also, you know, we also did a, a whole, we did a whole piece on the brain, and that was also because. We were interested in the trouble kids get into and what our brain disorders and finding out about post-traumatic stress Mm -hmm. and how that affects learning and lives and everything else. And um, So it's like how do we have a kinder society, like a society where you can uh, trust each other, play together, know each other, really admire each other, you know? And what kind of environments can you set up, you know? and I know we need badly. We need uh, kinder environments in the school. And, I mean, I don't have to tell you that with what the testing does and taking everything else out of the school, uh, what it's left behind, you Mm -hmm. know? So I guess I think art is about also trying to make a good life and what is that and finding out what it is like day by day mm-hmm. person by person you know and it's i mean i don't know that you ever answer it fully but day by day you know and that's what is so beautiful about the the dancing and the improv you know is it's so in the present it's so when you stop dancing the dance is over mm-hmm. <laughs> you know I mean, it's there mm-hmm. it's uh it's done and so, I mean, I, it's not that we don't try to get money, you know. Uh, what's that saying? Something about letting people know what you value. Evaluate what is meaning to you and other people. It'll have meaning for other people. No, I don't have the. There's a saying that was great about that, but mm-hmm. trying to get funders to value what you see. Mm-hmm. I mean, an artist are supposed to see more in the sense of, then say, a, a a funder mm-hmm. <laughs> or a business person who maybe is looking at numbers and not looking at – they're looking for someone else to be the creator and then they'll do the numbers part, mm-hmm. right, to to come up with the ideas or something. I don't mm-hmm. know. But that uh, – yeah. I mean, the idea would be to, to bring the funders along with us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And to try to educate the funders to that have would, the money follow the and yeah, be the, following the money. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. The ideas and what's working, yeah. or what, and you know, like that said, or the failures. I mean, that you get to try things and know that you're going to learn something. May not be what you tried to learn, but it, it, you're going to learn something yeah. else.
0: Yeah. My my favorite uh, one of my favorite things that I have is on a bulletin board, and it's just a it's just a scrap of paper that I cut off of a evaluation that someone filled out at the end of a workshop that we had done with youth workers and it said great workshop and I think it accomplished the goal whatever that might have been (laughs) (laughs) just I love that so much I do too I
2: love it I love it
0: I want I um. I want to switch gears a little bit as we as we move towards wrapping up uh, to ask you I'm not sure what the question is I, I guess just generally what is it like to do this kind of work which is so, such deep work and such a calling with your family with your children really um and and you know with working with them with each other right so they're they're your children but they're each other's brothers and sisters and they're working together or even aunts and your grandchildren and there's so there's such a, a range and it's not to not to say that it's only your biological family that's involved here because that's um, not true at all. It's a much broader family than that, with lots of different kinds of ties. But, but your own family is here, and what's that? What's that like? Um, and how is it? I, you know, it kind of boggles my mind. It's like how it is how is it even possible? Um, and to to sustain it as long as you have. Mm-hmm.
2: And, I mean, it comes as a total surprise to me, even to see my granddaughters. Uh, in in the last piece, two granddaughters were there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been called, jungles have been called the fly in the ointment, <laughs> the trouble, mm-hmm. uh, what's wrong with us, uh, why people won't want to give to us because it's <laughs> a family. Mm. Uh, like, you know, we're giving all the high-paid jobs to each other. <laughs> <laughs> If they only knew, right? Yeah. Uh, but meanwhile, you know, when I went through that Night of the Soul, I even moved to New York for six months uh, <laughs> to really suffer <laughs> uh, when my kids were growing up and everything and deciding what to do. Uh, you know, there was a, a such a loneliness and uh, like where to go and, and directionless except a desire to be connected, you know, a desire... To be connected and not, I mean, so it's funny, family. Yes, you've got family, but it's not just family won't do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. It really is a desire to be connected, yeah. you know, with the world as it is mm-hmm. and with the Eddies and the Soquillos and the, you know, the to know that kind of world, uh, to experience, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm in awe, you know, just as some people. i just thinking, too, who we interviewed, you saw that, Tara, when she said, you know, she sat with people and she she said, you know, how she could love them, you know. And She's a, a recovery coach and she saw them and they sat with, uh, you know, she could smell the alcohol. Their clothes were do- dirty and it didn't matter, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. That kind of connection, you know, I'm... I don't say that I can do what she does, but it's a beautiful thing. And so, this building and this, these classes, and all the people that came through here were a way of life for the family. You know, it was not I do this and then I go home and live. This was a way of life. It's mm-hmm. a way of life. It's how Bob, my husband, is an artist, a video artist, started the video at. Risdy we brought up our kids that way he'd bring home when they were little Jules and Jim shoot the piano player he'd bring home these foreign films mm-hmm. and show them in our our living room you yeah. know like and the kids were just little watching these foreign films mm-hmm. i mean it it's like it is a way of life it's how you can try to figure out your own way to be in the world Uh, when everything doesn't suit you, isn't going the way you want it. You know, what should it be? What could it be? So we have a lot of artists in the family, and we live that way, as I know you do too. I think we recognized each other Mm. with, uh, you know, Elia and uh, Rosie painting together. That's how we live our lives, Mm. and that's fun, and fun is a value, fun, humor, Creating, you know, and not to be afraid of failure, conflict. Mm -hmm. We go certainly have enough of that mess Mm -hmm. too. When you're dealing, but even if you were homogenous, you'd probably have more boring conflicts. Yeah, right. (laughs) You can have exciting conflicts. Yeah, and that's the productive ones. Yeah, that's the energy that helps us uh, really, really live in the world and and have a fun time.
0: Yeah. Well, Dorothy, it's been such a pleasure to get to know you these last couple of years. And I, I hope we get to continue to get to know each other. And thank you so much for taking the time to be on Please Speak Freely. Thank you. I hope we get to continue, too. <laughs> believes me